Man, thank you, Michaela. Thank you, Sam and Kel. Appreciate everyone uh, singing this evening. And boy, the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Whenever we recognize our strength comes from the Lord, it definitely helps us to face the troubles and trials that come our way. Do appreciate each of you this evening. Good to be in the Lord's house. So this evening, uh, we're going to be uh, taking the Lord's Supper after the conclusion of the message. We'll be ending the service with the Lord's Supper. And so I wanted to take a few minutes and just look at the passage of Scripture that we use to direct us in the administration of the Lord's Supper and look at this passage and take a few minutes to understand the purpose and the meaning of the Lord's Supper and why we receive the Lord's Supper. The passage we'll be looking in this evening is 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23 down through verse number 34 is the passage we'll be looking at this evening. And just want to take some time to go over the Lord's Supper and just remind us what the Lord's Supper means, why we receive the Lord's Supper. And of course, here at the Christmas season is always a great time for us to remember the sacrifice that Christ made. We uh, celebrate, of course, uh, His birth at Christmas. We celebrate His resurrection at Easter. However, both occasions are a great occasion to remember the reason that He came. The reason that He came was that he might make atonement for you and I. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of that. And so this evening we're going to take a little bit of time and look at that. I, I Hopefully I'm going to be brief in the message uh, so that we can go on into the communion. We won't uh, cause the service to run late this evening. And so that's what we'll be looking to do. You got me now, Joe? All right, good to go. So uh, just a few things here. 1 Corinthians 11 is where we'll be. In the Bible, in the Bible we're given instructions for two ordinances, two ordinances uh, that believers are instructed in the Word of God to participate in after salvation. So after a believer puts their trust in Christ, there are two ordinances, we believe, uh, as uh, independent Baptists, that there are two ordinances that believers are to participate in after salvation. These ordinances are baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion, both meaning the same thing, Lord's Supper or communion. These terms are interchangeable. We refer to these ordinances, we refer to these, the Lord's Supper and baptism, as ordinances rather than sacraments. Oftentimes, uh, especially if you're listening to anything that is produced uh, by the Catholic Church, you will hear them speak often of sacraments. Uh, we do not refer to baptism and the Lord's Supper as sacraments. Rather, we refer to them as ordinances. And there is a reason for that. The reason is that what the Catholic Church and those who practice sacraments believe that the sacraments are necessary for salvation. That is the meaning of a sacrament. You must do this in order to be saved. This is something that is required to secure your salvation. Uh, we do not believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are necessary for receiving salvation. Salvation does not depend upon anything that we do. Salvation depends only upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we refer to these as ordinances and not sacraments. Uh, uh, both ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, serve as reminders of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Both baptism, in baptism we have the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection, and in the Lord's Supper we are reminded of the body and the blood of Christ. The ordinance of baptism is a one-time act that follows salvation and is a testimony to the world 
that you have chosen to put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We symbolize this, as I've said, through the, the picture of the old man being buried into the water and the new man being resurrected out of the water. So baptism is a picture of the change that has taken place in the individual's life as well as a picture of what Christ did to make this new life possible. But baptism is an ordinance that takes place one time. Communion, or the Lord's Supper is an ordinance that is to be repeated periodically. Uh, it is to be administered by the church and it is to be participated in by the believers and it serves as a reminder of the price that Christ paid for our redemption. There have been those uh, who have... Uh, taken away from the solemnness of the Lord's Supper and said that they were taking the Lord's Supper, a group of friends on the beach using moon pies for the bread and RC colas for the wine and they were taking the Lord's Supper. This is completely destroying the picture that God has created. This is why the Lord's Supper is to be administrated by the church and that it's to be participated in by believers is so that we do not destruct the picture that is created with the Lord's Supper. So this evening I want us to consider why we participate in the Lord's Supper, what the Lord's Supper symbolizes to the Christian, and what it is to accomplish in the life of the Christian. So look with me, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 down through verse number 34. We're going to read this passage uh, in its entirety and then look at it, and then whenever we receive the communion in a little while we will be reading this passage Again, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 23, the Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened to the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your house. We thank you for your family. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege and the opportunity to gather together, Lord, for the purpose of worshiping you. Lord, tonight, as we look at this subject of the Lord's Supper, and Lord, the communion service in which we remember, uh, Father, your body being broken and your blood being spilt, that, Father, you might make atonement for us. Father, I pray, dear Lord, that you will help us, Lord, to enter into a, a state of mind where we with, uh, Lord, we are able to picture 
what it was that you've done for us. And Lord, that we are able, uh, Lord, to remember you and the price that you paid. And Lord, that you will minister to our hearts through this. Bless now as we look into your word concerning what this means and what it symbolizes. And Father, Lord, I pray that we will apply it to our lives. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. And Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's many references to the Lord's Supper throughout the Word of God, but it's here in this passage, here in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, where we find the instructions, the clearest instructions and explanation on how to receive the Lord's Supper. So as we investigate this passage tonight, I see three purposes for the Lord's Supper, three things that the Lord's Supper accomplishes uh, that I'd like for us to consider this evening. First, whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper, the first purpose that it is to accomplish uh, is to remember the sacrifice of our Savior. The first purpose of the Lord's Supper is that we might remember and it is a reminder of the sacrifice of our Savior. There in verse 23 down through verse number uh, 25, uh, there in 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as you drink it, in remembrance of me. We see here that the first purpose of the Lord's Supper is to serve as a reminder of what Christ did for you and I. You know, our lives are filled with distractions. There is constantly many, many things pulling on our attention, pulling on our focus, causing us to our minds and our thoughts to be going a million different directions. The Lord's Supper... And the purpose for receiving the Lord's Supper in a service is to bring about a reverent atmosphere in which we are able to separate ourselves from those distractions so we can focus on what it is that God is reminding us of. We see that the Lord's Supper is an opportunity to pull us away from distractions and focus our hearts on the sacrifice of our Savior. There's two components of the Lord's Supper uh, under this thing of remembering His sacrifice. There are two components uh, uh, that point to and reflect on the crucifixion. Whenever we look at remembering the sacrifice of our Savior, the first thing that we see is the bread. The bread. And the bread represents the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The unleavened bread symbolizes the sinless body of Christ that was broken for you and I. I'm getting some back feed through this speaker here. All right. <laughs> it was getting louder and louder. <laughs> oh, thank you. All right, so we see here that the unleavened bread symbolizes the sinless body of Christ that was broken for you and I. The bread is not his body. The bread does not transfer into his body as some teach. Some teach that whenever you eat the bread, it actually becomes the body of Christ. This is a very corrupt doctrine. It does not turn into his body. It is not his body. But instead, it symbolizes and serves as a reminder of the body that was broken for you and I. Sometime before the Last Supper, Jesus stated in John 6, 35... I am 
the bread of life. And at the last supper, he broke the bread, he passed it out to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body which was broken for you. We see from those two occasions uh, how that the bread represents and symbolizes the body of Christ. The cross was a brutal scene. The whip, the crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and feet, the spear that was thrust into his side, his body was broken and his body was broken for you and I. And the bread reminds us of his broken body. As you pick up each little broken piece to receive the communion, it reminds you of a body that was broken in our place that we might be saved. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, a great prophetic passage concerning the crucifixion of our Lord. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. When we take the unleavened bread here in a little while this evening, that little piece of broken bread reminds us of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was beaten and whipped and pierced and mistreated so that you and I could have salvation. In addition to the bread, we're reminded of the Savior's sacrifice when we take of the cup. In the communion service, we have the unleavened bread representing the body of Christ, but we also take the cup. It is grape juice, and it is a representation of His precious blood, the blood that was spilled for the atonement of mankind. The songwriter described His blood in this way. He said, For His blood was not just blood of another spotless lamb, but His blood was precious blood for it washed the sins of man. And His blood has healed my body, and it sets the captive free. I'm so glad His precious blood still flows from Calvary. In the same way that the bread symbolizes His body, the juice in the cup symbolizes and serves as a reminder of the blood that Jesus shed. As you take the cup this evening, and as you have that little cup of grape juice, uh, you picture in your mind the blood running down the rugged cross, the blood puddling on the ground at His feet. The Bible says that He was so beaten and so mangled and so tortured that it was impossible to recognize Him. Several years ago, how many years ago has it been now, Melissa, since you rolled the minivan? It's been a long time ago. Michaela was just a little bitty thing, long time ago, 20 years ago, something like this. I get, what's that, 18 years. 18 years ago, I got a phone call. I was on a job in Stanton, and I got a phone call, uh, and a lady said to me, is this John Tilly? I said, yes. She said, your wife's been in a terrible accident. The children are okay, but she wanted me to call you. I said, where are you at? She told me where she was at. I said, okay, I'm on my way. And I hung the phone up and I jumped in my truck and I started down the road and I thought, wait a minute. She said the kids were okay. She didn't say what kind of shape Melissa was in. So I called the number back and I said, you said the kids were okay, but you didn't say how my wife was. She said, your wife's in bad shape. 
And so as quick as I could, I drove to the hospital. I beat the ambulance to the hospital. I pulled in. The ambulance pulls in behind me. They get Melissa in the emergency room and take her to a room. And they come out and they tell me, they say, you can come back and see her now. And I walked back to see her. And she had rolled a minivan. A dump truck had ran her off the road. She went up on a bank and rolled the minivan back down the bank over here on 608. And uh, the van had slid down the road on the roof of the van. I walked into the room. And had her name not been on the door, I wouldn't have known that it was my wife. Just completely tore all to pieces from this automobile accident. Couldn't even recognize her. Whenever we think of what our Savior did for us, as he hung on the cross, you couldn't even recognize him. The blood running and pooling and... It was, it, it, was a horrible, it was a horrible incident, but Melissa never fails to make you laugh. So here she is. I mean, her face is all tore up. She's got gashes in the top of her head and in her face. And so I've got some, some stuff there, and I'm trying to pat the blood and, and clean her up a little bit. And she says, my knee hurts so bad. And I look at her knee, and there is nothing wrong with her knee. There's not even a scratch on her knee. I'm like, baby, your knee's fine. Oh, no, my knee hurts so bad. And I'm like, well, here, let me, let me get some of this blood off your face. No, my knee, work on my knee. And I'm, There's nothing wrong with your knee. There wasn't anything wrong with her knee. They never had to do nothing to her knee, but she was really focused on her knee that day. But uh, I want to say that whenever you looked at the Savior, whenever you looked at the Savior, you couldn't even recognize him. And he did that for you and I. When you look at that cup of juice this evening, picture the Savior beaten shredded for you. The Bible has much to say about the value of the blood. The Bible says in, Roman, in Romans 5.9 we see that we're justified by His blood. Romans 5.9 says this, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. In 1 John 1.7 we find that not only are we justified by His blood, but we're washed in His blood. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In Acts 20 and verse number 28, we find out that we're purchased by his blood. Purchased by his blood. The Bible says in Acts 20 verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourself and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. And then in Colossians 1.14, we find that we are redeemed by his blood. Colossians 1 and verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. When you look at that cup of grape juice representing the blood of Christ, understand that this is representing the most valuable substance that has ever been contributed to your well-being the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand as we looked at these uh, that we are redeemed by His blood. It is His blood that purchased us. It is His blood that made us uh, His once again. Uh, we understand that we are washed in His blood. We are dirty. We are unclean. We are sinful. Uh, yet the Bible says that His blood will wash us uh, and make us as white as snow. We are justified by His blood. It is when the blood of Christ covers me that I am able to appear before the judgment of God and appear righteous because I've been justified through 
His blood. Forgiveness of sin cannot be found through baptism, good works, church membership, or any other good deed you may do. Forgiveness can only be found through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This evening as we take the Lord's Supper, the first purpose of the Lord's Supper is to remind us of the broken body and the shed blood of our Savior. In addition to reminding us of His sacrifice, the Lord's Supper, another purpose of the Lord's Supper, is that it serves to revive the soul of the saint. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that it's awful easy to allow religion to become commonplace, to become mediocre, to become a habit rather than a heartfelt passion for Christ. It's easy for religion, Christianity, to become that. We see that the Lord's Supper serves to revive our soul. In verse 27 down through verse number 31 of 1 Corinthians 11, our text passage, we see there starting in verse number 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Verse number 31 is a powerful verse, a good one to quote to yourself from time to time. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If we would be diligent in identifying and dealing with the sin in our life that is separating us from serving God, and we would deal with it, it would keep God from having to deal with it in our life. So two things I see in this passage. First, I see that we revive the soul of the saints through examination. Verse number 28, but let a man examine himself. The Lord's Supper serves as a time to take a moment to look at ourselves and honestly consider whether there is anything between our soul and the Savior. Are there any sins that we have been convicted about that we've not gotten right? Is there any ought between us and another brother? Have we been guilty of bitterness, anger, covetousness, backbiting, or gossip? Are we clean? before the Lord. When we receive the Lord's Supper, we need to examine ourselves and say, am I clean before the Lord? Have my sins been confronted and confessed? So we see first that we need to examine ourselves, but second, we see that our soul is revived when examination is followed with repentance. When examination is followed with repentance, 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whenever we examine ourselves and we discover sin in our life, we confess it. We repent of it. We confront it and correct it. Now there are times during communion or when folks know that we're going to be serving communion, they don't attend or they refrain from partaking of communion because they know that there's unconfessed sin in their life. It is far better. It is far better to examine and repent than to continue to harbor unconfessed sin in the heart. The third reason, the third reason for the Lord's Supper, the third purpose it is to accomplish, is that it readies the saints for His return. The Lord's Supper gets us ready 
for the day in which he will return. In verse number 26 of our text, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, the Bible says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Two things we see here. First, a picture of his return. We see this picture in the words, till he come. In addition to reminding us of his death, the Lord's Supper also reminds us of his imminent return. He will come again. Whenever we are reminded of his return, it causes us to make sure we're prepared for his return. When we are thinking about the death of Christ and the return of Christ, we have a tendency to prepare ourselves to be ready for his appearing. So whenever we look at the Lord's Supper, what is the Lord's Supper? What does it mean? Why do we partake of it? First and foremost, to remind us of the sacrifice that Christ made. Second, it is to revive our souls, to give us an opportunity to examine ourselves and correct anything that is not right with God in our life. And then thirdly, it is to get us focused on the second coming and be ready for that day when the Lord will return. I'm going to uh, close the sermon in a word of prayer and then I'm going to pray that the Lord bless as we move into the communion service. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you came. I thank you, dear Lord, that you were the perfect, spotless sacrifice. I thank you, Lord, that you were willing to give your body to be beaten, uh, to be tortured, to be mutilated, Father, Lord, that atonement might be made for the sins of mankind. I thank you, Lord, for the price that you paid. I pray, dear Lord, that we never forget what it is that you've done for us. And Lord, I pray that that knowledge and that understanding of what you did for us will be at the forefront of our mind and it will motivate us in our service for you. Thank you, dear Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, to be able to come together and worship you through receiving the Lord's Supper. Bless now as we go into the Lord's Supper. Father, Lord, as we uh, receive the bread, as we receive the juice, Father, Lord, I pray that our hearts will be turned to you. Thank you for your goodness. Bless us now, I pray. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.